What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Spitfire Podcast. We have taken a little hiatus, but we have been storing up amazing interviews with Spitfire business owners. And today I am super excited to have a fellow business owner and friend and member of the Spitfire Circle join me today. We have Ashley Powder from Ruby Sampson. And hey, everyone. She's just going right in. She's like, I'm ready to talk. Let's do this. I'm so excited to share Ashley's story because it is such the quintessential entrepreneurial journey of like really taking the lemons of business ownership and making some lemonade, lemoncello, lemon drop shots. Uh, Anything you can make basically from lemons, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, lemon rinds, lemon juice, all of it. Um, So we're going to jump right into it. Tell tell all of our listeners, uh, all five of them, I'm just kidding, all five (laughs) million of them, (laughs) a little bit about your journey with Ruby Sampson, um, your origin story. Absolutely. I'm super excited to join you guys um, today. I don't even know, Lauren, how long we've known each other now, but I'm a part of her wonderful Spitfire women's business group. Um, But Ruby Sampson is actually my grandmother. She's the namesake of my brand. A lot of people confuse me as Ruby, which I could be called worse things. Um, My name is Ashley, and I am a third generation seamstress. Um, My grandmother, who uh, is from Guyana, my whole family is from Guyana in South America. I am a first generation American, though. And My grandmother was a well-known seamstress. She taught my aunts how to sew. They taught our generation how to sew, or at least the ones who are interested enough to learn. Um, And so I really started this business out of number one, necessity, and number two, just honoring, you know, the, the blood that runs through our veins, like this need to get in front of a sewing machine and like, make something. Um, But my background is actually in languages and communications, and I have a degree in languages from Pace University, and I started to study abroad when I was 16 years old, my junior year of high school. Um, I was a Rotary Exchange student, and I moved to Valladolid, Spain, for anyone who's ever been. It's about two hours north of Madrid. Um, And at the time when I moved um i had my hair was relaxed which for people who aren't familiar with black hair and black um hair culture it's a chemical that you put in your hair we call it a perm but for other hair textures a perm can mean it makes your hair super curly but for black hair textures it means it does the opposite it straightens your hair it is a long process sometimes it can be a bit painful you can get burns and scars on your scalp if you keep the chemicals on too long. I'm not going to get into it. There's movies about it. Chris Rock made an amazing documentary about it. Um, But when I moved the first time, my concern was not that I did not speak a lick of Spanish. My concern was I am moving to an all white community. What am I going to do with my hair? And I was just lucky enough that time to, I think it was my second or third day I saw this beautiful black woman just gallivanting through the streets of Valladolid and I stopped her and in like very broken Spanish asked like, who does your hair? And she just happened to be a hairdresser. And so we formed a friendship, 
But fast forward four years later, I was in college and I was going on my second study abroad experience, which was in Shanghai, China. So my languages are Mandarin and, and Spanish. And with China, I definitely knew the likelihood of me having help to do my hair was like slim to none. So my mom and I together did the big chop where we basically shaved our heads. Like we just took off all the, just shaved off all the chemical, relaxed, chemically relaxed hair. And so we transitioned to natural together. But at the time, uh, there weren't the blogs, the movies, the education around managing natural hair still wasn't um, what it is now, what it is today. Uh, so I really was kind of making that transition alone. Like my mom and I would kind of, you know, figure it out together. But on top of having to worry about my hair, I was probably one of three black students in my program of like 100. Shanghai at the time was a city of 20 million people. There just weren't a ton of like black hair salons. I don't know if there are now. I wouldn't be surprised. There's a, a, quite a large, like a, gr a growing African population there, but I really didn't have the resources. So my first like three years of being natural were actually hell. Like I remember um, I was walking through the market one day and this woman who was actually vending came up to me and I just literally felt like her nails like claw through my hair into my scalp and she it was I don't take take it as a racist incident I just think she was genuinely curious because there just weren't you don't see a lot of like black women on television in censored communist China. So it was more of curiosity. But I just, at that moment, it felt like a microaggression. And my friend was way more upset for me than I was for me. He was just bewildered by the fact that she felt like that was okay. So he, I remember he had like pushed her off of me. But I just, um, it, it was really a point where I was kind of like a commodity, like I was a, like a, like a museum artifact, you know, walking through the sh streets of China. So it was around that time where I started to get back to my family roots and, you know, start sewing. And I lined literally like all of my clothes, my pillowcases. I just made this switch to silk, really. And it, it helped um, just with the manageability of like my hair me feel a little bit more confident um help me just even with my coursework it it took um it kind of gave me my time back in a sense i wasn't spending like hours and hours on my hair so when i started lining everything i had with silk and wearing more head wraps i just had ran especially when i moved back to new york i just had random women stopping me on the street like asking where did you get your head wrap? Like, where can I buy it? At the time I was thinking like, oh, thank you. I don't sell them though. They're just for me. Cause I need, I, I'm still struck like stumbling through this whole natural hair thing. And I was at the time I was kind of contemplating just reverting back to the relaxer. Cause it was just easier to manage. Um, and for those of you who don't know, like curly hair textures tend to be drier. And so it, it, it takes more product, more moisturizing, you just more conditioning. Um, 
so at the time when people were asking me this, it really just kind of sparked the idea of like, okay, well, maybe people, like people I don't know, complete strangers are willing to buy products from me. Like I hadn't even really considered it. So that natural hair journey really did spark like that fire for business. And then of course, just um, getting back into the machine and sewing um, made me feel like more connected to my family and my family roots. And so that's how really Ruby Samson was born. But I had a period of probably maybe two, two and a half years. And within that span, I had actually moved to Swaziland in um, Southern Africa. It's kind of encapsulated in, in South Africa, but it's its own country. But it was in those two years where I kind of fumbled with the idea, but didn't really get started. It was just like a wish list. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to DC where things like took off and people were, I had a website I incorporated, people were buying from me who I did not know. Um, and that was really like, for me, like that started my proof of concept, truly. That's how Ruby, Ruby Sampson wasn't like born overnight. It was just, what is? <laughs> what is? It was several years of just toying with the idea. And then I was finally like, let's just do this. Time is a ticking. Hell yeah. You know, so so taking this like very raw and real experience of, of going to a place where you don't have the support system, you don't have the resources to maintain what you knew. And it oh, really yeah. became that catalyst for you to get back to your roots and connect to your family and, oh, yeah. and what, what's in your blood. And, and I heard you use the word just a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious where you made the transition of, I just make these for me. I just do this for me mm-hmm. into, I can be of service and help other people in this challenge. Oh yeah. Because, you know, there are, um, I knew I was not the only one by second semester because both times I studied abroad, to be honest, were full immersion programs. So I was living with the host family. I was in intensive language courses. Like I wasn't speaking a whole lot of English every day. So those were very isolating times in my life. I remember with Spain, especially, I was one of a handful of Americans in the city at the time. So I could not communicate with anyone for the first three months that I was living there. And then when I started dreaming in Spanish was like the floodgates opening. And that's when I started understanding, I started being able to form sentences and ask for what I want, ask for what I need. And so it was really like, you know, during those, what I thought were isolating experiences that kind of trained me for this entrepreneurship journey, but also helped me realize like I'm not the only one who's experiencing this. I remember my second semester in in China, um, there were two other black women who had joined the program. And they we specifically, and I will never forget, sat down and we had a conversation about the days we would do our hair. <laughs> like it was, and that's when I realized, okay, it's not just, you know, me who has this pain point, I read this study from the University of Florida that uh, this group of HR students and and professionals teamed up together to uh, monitor how 
the impact of your appearance, like how your appearance impacts your earning potential. And for black women specifically, it can impact it by much as like $8,000 a year. And so it's, you know, hair is not just a trivial notion for black women. It really comes down to dollars and cents. It's not always how skilled and talented you are, but it's branding. It's how you present yourself to the world. It's how serious people take you. And in a re- we're already in a society where we know equal pay for equal work is still, you know, we're, we're together, we're building towards that ideal, but it's still just an ideal for a lot of women. Um, so once I really realized it's not just my problem, it became much easier for me to say, I'm a designer, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, because it, it, it took me out of my own head and it was more of this is a service to provide so i didn't i didn't have to necessarily like hide behind a, oh this is just for me it's all i do you know it was much more of a service conversation well i'm, I'm gonna push you on that because i think we've had this conversation of uh, the the experience economy and and i think his name is joe pine who wrote this book and essentially we start in this commodity mindset of like everyone has access to commodities. Mm -hmm. And then it's, how do we make goods from the commodities? And then how do we provide the services from the goods? Mm -hmm. But I actually don't think that you are a service provider. You Mm -hmm. create an experience which actually allows people to transform. And when you talk about that Mm -hmm. inner confidence that, that, uh, that you allow people to tap into because you have resolved this. And not only have you resolved a challenge, you've allowed people to really like own their presence yeah. with your product. That yeah. is what you have, have opened up for people. I received that, thank you. I'm, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I really do. I When people ask, you know, what is Ruby Samson? I definitely say we've bridged the gap between hair care and fashion for the textured hair consumer. Um, just because I do think there is a lack of, of representation for the products that, that are on the market. I remember when I first came, became natural, I couldn't find a silk-lined head wrap. Like, if I went to H&M, I knew, you know, that's not where I go. At, at best, I could go maybe um, to, you know, like the bigger box retailers and get you know, something that was mass produced cheaply, that doesn't necessarily look very well, you would hide it, what, what, which is still what a lot of black women do, because there's still pockets, in, especially in the United States that are underserved. Um, and so a lot of women, they'll get a really cheap synthetic silk or satin scarf, and they'll put it under their hat, or they'll put it under their head wrap. That is, so, you know, women have been kind of creating this makeshift solution for a long time but even that makeshift solution is something you hide it's not something you feel good about so there is definitely like a confidence component that you know we want to tap into um we being you know my family and i because um i have so much help and support from my mom my aunts my sisters my cousins um not only here but in guyana as well we're we're incorporated and we're actually incorporated in my grandmother's house in Guyana um, as well. So it's it's a um, just going back to what you said. It 
it is a confidence piece. I guess we flirt on the lines of, you know, service and, and product as well. We do a ton of head wrap tutorials, but it's definitely about making women feel confident enough that you don't just have to wear your head wrap to bed. We have lives to live, you know, you can have a polished, elevated look. If you, if you want something more muted, we can meet that. If you want to be loud and proud, like proud and bold with fun colors and prints, we can meet that, but you shouldn't have to necessarily hide every aspect of yourself. I think we're right now we're at a society like where we are in our society, we're at this turning point where we can be, you know, more proud of our heritage, more proud of our needs, um, our hair care needs, for example, alone, just that alone. I know that New York, I think California just passed like an anti hair discrimination law, which did not exist before. So there's definite um, momentum building. This is a need that I think we're 77 million strong across this country alone. Just, I say textured hair women because not just black women have curly hair um, and we don't just serve black women. We serve a variety of, um, you know, races and ethnicities, cancer survivors as well. So, Hair is definitely like a unifier, I would say. Our needs transcend race. So that's why I like to say textured hair consumer, but either way, it doesn't matter what your race is. If, you know, there is a strong confidence component that comes into play with the brand. Definitely, definitely. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I want, I want to talk about the last four to six months for Ruby Sampson and for your journey with them um, and, and what your experience has been um, related to COVID, related to uh, when when things didn't go as planned and, and, and how you overcame it and transitioned it. Oh yeah, and I think we had, I physically saw you maybe in August or September um, and I was just in a very difficult place at the time um, with my supply chain, with, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of um, delays and difficulties. I remember I, I had so many delays, I couldn't even really show up for Black Friday like I wanted to. I couldn't show up for the holidays like I wanted to. Um, shipments were lost, delayed, missing, um, people flaked out. <laughs> I was, um, the house manager of this massive house that was just draining like my time, my energy, my resources. And I remember you saying to me, like, I think you just have to go to Guyana and just like get this shit out. Like, excuse my French, but oh no, we, we curse on this show. Go ahead. <laughs> I curse in my everyday life. Um, to really just be there on the ground. And I still have an amazing group of people on the ground in Guyana. But it, it, it also is different when you're, you have a sea between you and you're using things like, you know, WhatsApp and Skype to communicate. And I mean, long story short, I had invested thousands of dollars, which I, I lost everything, by the way, before COVID. Um, thousands of dollars into getting, you know, our fabric printed. So one of the things that we've um, done in the last, I would say, two years is we've really focused on um, 
just honing in on that inclusivity component of the brand by printing our own fabrics. And so like, for example, the dress to my left, or I guess to your right, if you're looking at me on video, um, this dress is actually a custom print that features um, one of our favorite like breakfast dishes in the islands. Some, some islands they call it Johnny Cakes, but in Guyana we call them bakes and saltfish. It's like a pastry with um, baked codfish. It's delicious. Uh, we eat it usually for breakfast. So, uh, okay, this head wrap I'm wearing is a two-tone solid, but this one here is Guinness which is um, kind of like a grape that only grows in select islands in the Caribbean. And so with that said, we have a very structured supply chain. Uh, like our, you know, things have to move methodically. And when one thing doesn't happen, it screws up everything else. And so long story short, we get to Guyana. I leave my material there and I think, uh, more than half of it had just like evaporated. Like I was chasing down the factory, trying to figure out why I had left all this material and I only had received a couple of items back. Had my cousin running around on my behalf, like trying to hunt down, like where's all of this, the missing fabric, the missing patterns, the missing, you know, finished pieces. Then we had to switch factories. And there was just so many delays that by the time I got everything back here, where I am in DC, you know, we had probably lost about 70% alone of just our raw goods. And so there was like absolutely no way I was going to make a profit. So before COVID-19 happened, I actually had like a major breakdown. <laughs> How am I going to recoup um, my lost time, resources? bonds, like everything. And then so when COVID did hit and face masks became mandatory, I didn't have a lot of material to work with because I was missing about 70% of what I had invested in like raw goods. So what I did have were dresses that were all in the wrong size, all in the wrong material. And so I took my seam ripper, which is basically like a small knife is made to like literally get in the seams of clothes and I ripped apart every single piece of, of what I did have and luckily because face masks are only a fraction of what a full dress you know it only uses a fraction of the material we were able to get probably at least like 150 pieces alone um and I converted everything into face masks and sold out probably in like two days. Um, I, would, I would say even two days is aggressive. I remember waking up, I posted on like Sunday night and I woke up on Monday morning and I was just like, is this real? Um, because that alone, that like 24 hours alone, I would say definitely made up for the months and months and months of delays of missing fabric, of factories going AWOL. And so just in that time alone, I was like amazed. And what was even better was just because I had everything 
already here. And it granted, it was not at all what I expected, but because I already had all my materials here, I didn't have to reorder anything. I didn't have to wait on new shipments. So I actually, that major massive fuck up was actually like a really good setup for, you know, it, it definitely not only like helped us recoup, but we got a bunch of new customers that I don't think we otherwise would have had. So it was a huge, like going back, blessing in disguise, but as you were saying, like turning lemons into like lemonade, lemoncello, and every lemon cocktail you can possibly imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I imagine it must've been cathartic to like rip out the seams of things that oh, yeah. didn't work. Oh my God, it was, amazing. It just felt like a release. Like, okay, now at least I have a purpose for you because I had so many, I remember, for example, I put on, I put on a dress that was supposed to be a large and I couldn't even fit it over my shoulders. It was so bad. And I'm a, I'm five one. I've always been a small person like forever. And so I knew like, what, what the hell am I going to do with dresses that are in the wrong size. where are these patterns that I invested all this time and money into making? Like, how did this all go so wrong? And let me just say like, the team that I do have in Guyana is amazing and they, you know, salvaged and they helped me with whatever they could. But it just felt so good to just be like, oh my God, you are, I'm just undoing like months and months and months of stress and, you know, misdirection and mistakes and so it felt like so amazing um to literally tear it all apart and recreate something new and I think I was telling you Lauren maybe it was last week or maybe it was even last last month when we had our women's group that you know leaving so I also remember telling you, like, I, I think I'm just going to move. I think I'm just going to bite the bullet, get my own place, and screw it. I wanted to save way more money than I had when I had moved out. So at the time when I did move, I, I kind of felt defeated. Like, I had put in all of this, like, energy and sacrifice for nothing because I didn't meet my goal. And now I'm going to get my own place and pay, like, double, triple what I was paying before because I viewed that move as more of a strategic like sacrifice for a longer term goal. But when it wasn't happening, I just kept getting more frustrated and drained. And so when I did bite the bullet and move, number one, like just sleeping better, having ideas come faster and more often. Um, and then now it's been probably like seven months yeah, seven, eight months since the move. And I've managed to save like four times what I saved when I was paying a fraction of what I'm paying now. So the lesson for me has just been like, especially if you're a spiritual person, if not, don't then just disregard what I'm saying and just chalk it down to luck. But I mean, staying in a, a draining situation you, you have to put your mental health first. Like you absolutely, that number one, like your peace of mind is never too expensive ever. And as long as you like 
put yourself first, God provides. Again, if not spiritual, then, you know, you will provide for you. Like you will, you know, make this happen. But it was just such a lesson that in the seven months I was able to do what I couldn't in like two years. So my 2020 vision has definitely been like, above all else, pay yourself first. Um, you know, take care of yourself first, whether that's like your skincare routine, drinking your lemon water first thing in the morning, going on a run, doing your yoga, whatever that is. But that's like the first part of your day. And then everything else comes second. I love that. That has been like the 2020 um, like lesson for me. Yeah. I love what you said of, you know, your, your, there's, there isn't a price tag on your peace of mind. Never. Like you never. can never pay, like there's never, it's never too much mm-hmm. because nothing else can, can formulate or materialize if you don't have peace of mind. And let me say, I pissed a lot of people off. I mean, like this is, this wasn't like uh everything's smooth now. They're like, yeah, like, go ahead. Go focus on you. <laughs> I've been cursed out. Pull the go fuck off you piss a lot of people off when you put yourself first. And that's what you also have to be willing, you know, that's what you have to be willing to kind of give up in a sense. It's like either the people pleaser, which I was literally, I'm a former elite gymnast. I get it. Like with, with USA gymnastics, they taught us your ankle doesn't hurt that bad. Your shoulder doesn't hurt that bad. Your back is fine. You can tumble on it. And, you know, you're selected from young, like three, four, five. So I get it. It's indoctrinated in my work ethic. You've always been kind of taught, you know, your needs come second to winning. Mm-hmm. And so having to unlearn that has been really hard. And I've tried it in the past, chickened out, caved in and put other people's needs first and then been miserable and stayed in relationships way, way longer than I should have stayed in friendships way longer than I should have. But then on, I'd say the positive side of kind of telling people like, you know what, you're right. I am going to be the villain in your story. And that is okay with me. You know, I don't have, I'm still going to look fabulous being the villain. (laughs) I'm still going to sleep my eight hours. And I'm not going to wake up once, you know, I'm going to still have at the end of the day, my peace of mind. Like I was just telling my dad, my, my parents kept asking me like, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I don't need anything. Like I'm in a much better place this July than I was last July. And all of that just is because I have peace of mind. Like, I don't think I've had that in a long time. And that is everything. Like that is everything. So I would say for the people pleasers who are listening and don't get me wrong, I still struggle with my people pleasing. It's still a choice. It's like an everyday practice. Boundaries are an everyday practice for me. But the one thing you do get is your peace of mind for sure. Like that's the one thing that's worth it. I'm so proud of you. It's so, it's so awesome. Like knowing you through this journey and like seeing how 
how you've been able to run with this, starting small, saying no, putting yourself first, setting those boundaries, creating that self-care practice. Like it's so simple and so basic, Mm -hmm. but it's consistency. Yeah. And it's it's making it manageable and realistic for your reality. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the, the most awesome part. Like, it's not like you had an expert come in and say, here's how we fix your supply chain. You went to basics. Nope, went to basics. And I mean, I still um, rely on a lot of small business resources like Spitfire Group. Um, with the DC Small Business Center, I have my advisor and for those, um, who are listening, I think each state has one. So no matter where you are, you can look them up. Um, I still definitely try to rely on, you know, my network, both of peers and of mentors. And like I said, I don't get it right every time. The hardest thing has been not, it's been unconditioning what I've learned in the past. I mean, I'm from an athletic family and both of my parents were also professional athletes. Like it's hard to kind of unlearn some of those unhealthy patterns, but first it's recognizing, <laughs> I think it's recognizing like what I'm doing is actually, I can be toxic too. You know, I'm not like hail Mary here. I'm not like, you know, I don't have it all sorted out, but recognizing where you're like cutting yourself short too is just as, impactful probably even more impactful than paying thousands of dollars to to a coach um to tell you like fix the surface level things like those are important too but you also have to question how you're showing up to certain situations and asking for help has been really hard as well um even i remember when i had like my breakdown i i sat there for like five minutes and i thought is this important enough for me to call my parents or to call my sister or am I like just being really dramatic? And I said, I don't care if I'm being dramatic. How I'm feeling right now is how I'm feeling. It's valid. So even, even picking up the phone was like really hard thing to do and letting people know I'm crying. Like I hate that. Hey, letting people know, like, I'm not feeling like, the happiest right now. I'm not in the best mood right now. That's always been um, like a really big challenge. And I think especially with entrepreneurship, it can be very lonely and isolating because you, especially when you're starting out, you don't have this like team of 20 people you can commiserate with through all of those challenges. So your challenges tend to be more um, isolating just to you because you're the only one experiencing them. So it's a whole other battle to pick up the phone and say like, okay, I need to vent right now. You don't have to solve this problem for me, but I just need to like get this off my chest is like those small things add up to like really big things. Yeah. I think, I think you, you nailed it right there. Sometimes you just need to feel heard. You just Mm -hmm. need to get it out of your head Mm -hmm. and process it and sort it out. And I think a lot of people, especially friends and family, they have a bias where they want to see us happy. So they're trying to like solve our immediate pain, but long-term we've got to be able to fix it for ourselves. We have to feel confident knowing that we're going to be okay. And we're going to end up on top. And we got, we have resilience that we've built over many years, many years. So many, you know, all of those, um, 
like disappointments and closed doors. And I remember I was on a um, panel last year with General Assembly and one of the questions I got was like, what do you do when you fail? And I said, that's interesting because I fail every single day. <laughs> like, it's called every day. <laughs> that's like a constant. You don't have to get stuck there though. I mean, this person was like, I, I want to start my business, but I think they had like a bunch of, uh, you know, like barriers and challenges like we all do. But those disappointments, I don't think what people realize is how, how frequent they happen and how it's just as much a part of the journey as being on a podcast as, you know, having a celebrity like wear your clothes or being featured in a, you know, having your product featured in a movie. Like it's just as much woven into the fabric of like that entrepreneurial experience where failure at this point, it's like, oh, what? I got like the rudest brush off, whatever. Like, you know, you're just going to keep going. It doesn't necessarily um, mean it's about you. Everybody has their triggers. Everybody has their shame spirals. Not everybody knows how to acknowledge their patterns and recognize what their triggers are. But I think entrepreneurship kind of forces that mirror in front of you. Because if you're not seeing it, other people are seeing it and they'll, they'll for sure communicate it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's common. It's, it's so common. And, and uh, so my boyfriend's a full-time musician and as I he's been with me the entire journey of my business. Mm -hmm. And I used to get really disappointed when things that I thought were for sure deals when they fell apart. Mm -hmm. And he always said to me, and I have to remind him of this and I remind everybody that I talk to is, one thing is not gonna make or break you. Yeah. It is a collection of, of awesome shit mm -hmm. that you collect mm -hmm. and you refer back to knowing that it's all part of the journey. But if you're not clear, on what success looks like, on what it feels like, of what your intention is, then you're constantly going to be looking at things outside of you to validate you. Oh yeah. This is not entrepreneurship is not for the weak-hearted. Like it's not just, you know, putting your CEO on Instagram and hoping no. that people follow you. It it is a it is a process every day of checking yourself and your insecurities mm -hmm. and realizing what is fact and what is data and what is story and excuses. Oh yeah. The biggest thing entrepreneur has forced me to do is question my internal narratives of, is that true? Because I, it's like I told you on, during our women's business group, I now have customers who were prospects before from three, four years ago who was never made a purchase with me, ever. But I've had them on my email list and I just thought, well, I was like, say la vie, they're not ever going to make a purchase. All of a sudden now buying like first order, second order, third order, fourth, you know? So it's a collection of the effort and action over time. It's not necessarily just going back to like what success looks like. The most successful people we know in the world today are not the most talented and they're not the smartest in the room. It's not, they just show up and they just show up consistently. That's it, truly. And I was just I was just saying that to my friend, like Tyler Perry, for example, he gets dogged so much for his, his work and for his art form. 
But you can't you can't throw shade on him. He's been showing up consistently. Do you know how I many smart people, more talented, better writers, you know, with probably stronger plays and movies have just stopped at like the 12th try or the 15th try or the 20th try. So it's like you can't necessarily um, count yourself out of the game because someone you saw on Instagram or on Pinterest or I don't know at that event is you perceive them to have more or be doing better. You know, you can't necessarily count yourself out just on face value. You can, at this point in time, buy an Instagram page with 20 million followers if that's what you want to do. So it's not necessarily about just um, like talent and, and intelligence. It's perseverance. It's not getting discouraged. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure you still get discouraged and I still get discouraged. Um, but not judging those feelings like as they come. Just let them come. Just ride the wave. Ride that wave. Ride it. So if people want to ride their wave into Ruby Samson's website, <laughs> where Please do they need to go? Visit us <laughs> at rubysampson.com. Behind me, it's just rubysampson.com. All of our social media handles are the same. Shop in front of Ruby Samson. So shop Ruby Samson. You can follow us as well. Um, it was such a, a pleasure, Lauren, to be featured on your podcast today and to speak to you about this. I mean, we've been, I feel like we've been having variations of this conversation for the better part of a year and it's kind of coming, you know, full circle. And I think, I'm hoping that whoever's listening, you're benefiting from it as well. So. So awesome. Thank you for taking the time out. I, I got so many good little nuggets from that. I was like, oh, this is good stuff. We can pass this along and let some fires in the small Let's, business world. Whoever needed to hear it today, I hope you heard it. Received. Shoot, up, shoot us a message, an email, awesome. whatever you'd like. Thank you so much, Ashley. And for all the Spitfires out there, keep being awesome.